Elliot Goldstein is hosting a radio and podcast show out of New Mexico called NMDJ Presents Fly on the Wall. We are building a fresh, fabulous podcast library of musicians, writers, artists, and all good people of note, with many new and exciting guests to come. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. We appreciate your help. We would like to thank Alan Gower for the intro music. Enjoyed the show. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. I'd like to tell you how I got started. Um, I really had no idea on um, the beginnings of what had even where to start. And I stumbled upon Anchor by Spotify. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And I'll explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And um, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast automatically on listening platforms. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on other uh, platforms. And it, Anchor made it so simple. And um, it's all in one place. Everything you need to make a podcast, you can find in one place. And um, the amazing part is it's all free. So um, there is no uh, downside to any of this. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. And again, it's the Anchor app or anchor.fm. And it's real easy to get started. And um, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall and uh, back to the show. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Living in Paris for 30 years as an expatriate New Yorker, veteran rocker and author Elliot Murphy's career in music and literature is more active than ever. He has released over 35 albums, still performs shows all over Europe as well as the US and Japan and is a prolific author of fiction. Fly on the Wall podcasts would like to welcome Elliot Murphy to the show. Remember that this radio show is listener-funded. If you wish to contribute our PayPal info is not your mother's radio at gmail.com. That's not your mother's radio at gmail.com. We would like to thank you in advance. We really need the help. Hello, Mr. Murphy. Hello, Elliot to Elliot here. Yes. Listen to me, I got a problem with you. You took all the L's and all the T's. I only got one of each. My parents were very generous. 
Yeah, they were. Mine were uh, stingy. But but you know what? Um, um, it always came in handy when I had to get like a, a name bracelet. I was able to save a couple of bucks on that extra L and T. Uh, well, I have been misspelled in every way possible. Me too. Every way, but two L's, two T's, one of each, and yeah. me too. Even the worst, and sometimes Elio. They write E L I O. Which oh wait, I, wait, 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 wait! I got the best one, Ellie May. I got once. Wow. <laughs> that, that's only in deepest Appalachia, I think. The, yep, yep. That's the one I use when I go to the cement pond. <laughs> so how you doing? I'm doing okay. Fine, Elliot. Thank you. Beautiful. It's been a long time. I, um, you know, I, I used to work for Epi. I, um... I saw Epi. I mean, we. I did two shows, I think, at his re, reinvigorated father's place, which is now in a Roslyn hotel. Right. How do you like it? How do you like the hotel? You know, it was fine. I mean, the the space was nice. We had a really good crowd. Uh, I played there right after I had been inducted into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame. Right. So that was kind of nice. Yeah, it's nice. And um, yeah, so your book is great. Great book. Thank you. Uh, just so you know, I'm going to uh, tell you this now. My wife is leaving the room now as we're speaking, but uh, Drive All Night is one of her favorite songs in the whole wide world. Oh, what's her name? Laura. Laura. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Laura. Tell Laura I love her. That was the name of a hit song in the film. It was a hit song. Tell Laura I love her. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so we kind of grew up in the same neck of the woods. I, I grew up in South Belmore, and um, you uh, came from, you know, the same kind of uh, breeding grounds. In fact, um, I just spoke to Artie Kornfeld from Woodstock. Do you remember Artie? I do. I think. I think he was inducted into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame the same night I was. Yeah, he, I think he was as well. And he yeah, and his yeah. partner. Uh, his partner was Michael Lang. Michael Lang, yeah. Yep, Michael. And um, yeah, Artie is, uh, I'll be doing a show with Artie, I think, tomorrow. I do a show with him like once a month. We do uh, just an old, uh, uh, he just talks about whatever comes into his mind. And at this point, anything can come into Artie's mind. And it's it's pretty a lot of fun. Does this podcast is it live? Uh, we're not live now. This is going to be edited, and I'll put it up on the podcast. And I will oh, okay. play. I'll be playing it live on one of my Sunday night shows. But okay, right okay. now we're not live. I wanted to ask you. You were from South Belmore, did you say, or North Belmore? South, yeah. Now, did that touch New Hyde Park or? No, no. South Belmore was on the uh, Wantaw. Yeah, Wantaw. Oh, out there. Yeah, I'm thinking of. Oh, uh, you're I'm thinking of, yeah. um, 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 I don't know what you're thinking of. What are you thinking of by New Hyde Park? Maybe I, I was thinking of Belmont Racetrack. Oh, yeah, uh, Belmont. Yeah, Belmont. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah, down yeah. by uh, Wantor and Massapequa. I was on the South Shore. You were up yeah, there. well, I know that very well because we used to go to Jones Beach all the time. Sure, yeah, yeah. West End 1, West End 2. And when I was a surfer, we used to surf out at Gilgo. Oh, well, and you also played in the clubs in Oceanside, didn't you? You know, uh, Long Beach. Down, you know. A lot of them, yeah. yeah. The Action House. Action House. and uh, There was one on uh, in Long Beach, a couple of them, uh, which I didn't know it at the time. They all turned out to be pretty heavily mobbed up, those. Yeah, those yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Channel 80. Remember Channel 80? And, uh, I don't remember that. Malibu. Malibu, yeah. Malibu. I was a big fan of the Vagrants, the band, yeah, and they sure. played all those places yeah 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 leslie's band um yeah so um the book is great you i've been following your music for the past i don't know how many years 
And uh, Aqua Show is still one of the greatest albums ever made. And, Thank you so uh, much. Yeah, um, it's um, and, and what I really enjoyed about your book was um, you went into the nuts and bolts that made that album, which was quite interesting because when I first heard it, you know, um, I kind of thought you were a um, kind of like a poet who wasn't happy growing up where you grew up. But what it turned out was after you know after going through the book was that you were very happy where you are. And just the circumstances that surrounded your, um, you know, your your youth and everything else, you know, with your dad and everything else, kind of uh, made that album what it was, you know, what it is. And really, I think that album served as a kind of a catharsis. Yeah. For me, all those songs, I wrote a lot of those songs, as I say in the book, in Europe when I went over there in '71. Right. But, uh, yeah. That. That was one of those perfect storms. All good elements came together. And it it looked like it was going to be a disaster. You know, it looked like the album would never be made. Right. When my failed attempt to do it in L.A. But then Peter Siegel, who was the head of A&R at Polydor, he kind of took charge on it. Right. And I think as he came from that West Village folk scene in the 60s, I think he, he understood, you know, what kind of sound I would like and and that. Uh, yeah, to this day, it has not dated that album. That, that album hasn't dated, and um, there are so many bands working now that are striving for that sound. Mm. And it's pretty interesting because, um, um, you know, it's it, it's kind of like um, you you kind of predated the punk poets that came after you, the uh, Jim Carrolls, you know, those kind of guys. Uh, um, uh, uh, you know, and it's just, it was just interesting. I think that album should be uh, one of the most iconic albums. I think it should be on that list that every, you know, one of those albums that everybody must listen to, you know, it's just, it's an incredible album from start to finish. But um, you did so much after that, you know, and... Um, the downside to that album, honestly, was it was my first album. Yeah. It was really hard to know where to go after that because you know yeah i went from being totally unknown to being on robert hilburn's best albums of the year list you know yep. so it, it was hard to know where to go i think it took me a little while to to get my feet i went out to the west coast to do the second album with paul rothschild right and uh but yeah i'm that album has really withstood the test of time. It was very important to me that we wouldn't use any instruments that I felt would become dated. One of them I thought was the clavichord, uh -huh. uh, which was being put on everything at that time. Right. But we didn't use that. And also the mix of the musicians, you know, we had uh, Gene Parsons from The Birds right. playing the drums. We had Frank Owens, who was a New York studio cat who had played with uh, Dylan and everybody. Peter Siegel brought up a guitar player from Nashville who really helped glue the thing together. And it was just all the great talent. And uh, I think, as I said in the book also, the funny thing, I was record plan had two studios. The top one was Studio B, was up on like the eighth floor. Yep. And it was like a church where we were recording, you know. And then down on the floor, first floor, the New York Dolls were recording. Yeah. Their second album. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. It was like a, a Roman bacchanal going on down yeah, there. Yeah, you know? yeah, that was uh, too much too soon, right? That was a great album as well. It was too much too soon, yeah. Yeah, that was a Shadow Morton. Shadow Morton, yeah, who Shadow. I knew of because he used to record at a studio right next to Garden City called Ultrasonic. 
Yeah, I remember Ultrasonic. That's the that's yeah. LIR, I LIR was hooked up with Ultrasonic. Yeah. Yeah, those were the days. Um, in fact, I did a, uh, um, I used to do a, a reggae show with Epi like at two, midnight on Sunday nights. We did it for a run. We played uh, uh -huh. LIR for a while. But um, I, I remember, um, I saw you headline a number of times, but I remember seeing you as an opening act for some of the greats. You know, you said it, man, the people that I had the privilege of opening for, I mean, the Kinks, we did a lot of shows for the Kinks. We played at Hofstra, open for the Kinks. Yep, so that's uh, true. I saw you open for uh, Lou Reed. Lou Reed, Jefferson Starship. Yep. Uh, and then later on, a lot of the blues legends I opened for. I opened for yep. John Lee Hooker. Yep. At, at, I opened for Buddy Guy over here, especially over here in Europe. Because oh. I, for some reason, I was classified in with those blues guys. Wait so, a second. Uh, I saw you do a show with Garland Jeffries. And was it Chris Spedding on guitar? You, well, that show was in Switzerland. Yeah, I got a copy of that. You got a, Yeah, that was a, a, a Swiss festival, a huge festival called Hot Point uh -huh. in Lausanne. And they asked me to invite some special guests. And I thought of Garland because we were pals. Yeah, and uh, and then I'm one of the special guest guitarists, and it was first it was going to be Richard Lloyd, uh -huh. from television. Sure. And like two weeks before, he fell off his bicycle and broke his wrist. Wow. So then I reached out Ernie Brooks, who played bass with me. He had been in a wow. band called The Necessaries with Chris Spedding. Right. I knew Chris also from Robert Gordon. Yeah. Because my brother Matthew was Robert's tour manager. That's right. And so I invited Chris and man, you know, we did like one rehearsal and Chris just got it like that. And if you listen to that album, the lead he did on, uh, I think it's on rock ballad. It is just like the, the seminal lead on that song. No one has ever played it better than he did, even though Mick Taylor did the original. Yeah. Now you, um, you opened for Lou at the rock and roll animal tour right that was yeah i forget which show i opened for him uh that was at the uh, uh um um what was what would, they, what would they call it at the time the palladium but they, it kept changing names uh the palladium. was that i that, was that i wasn't i don't think i opened the one they recorded the album the rock and roll animal then you and also opened for the dolls the dolls many times i saw you open for the dolls at the uh valentine's day show the um the academy of music academy yeah the palladium the academy of music yeah they kept changing that name the palladium became the academy <laughs> but that was man, john rockwell from the times he just bombed both of us yeah couldn't have been more nasty than he was in that yeah. review great he didn't show. Like the dolls. it was know. a great show i remember the rafters shaking that night it he was, didn't like the dolls i don't think that whole movement of glam rock so anything associated with them and i guess i was associated because i opened he gave us a terrible one of the you know i've been so the critics have been generally very nice to me through the years right but that was one of the worst reviews i ever got but it was a memorable night i remember it because arthur kane the bass player from the dolls yeah, yeah. his girlfriend in some kind of drunken argument had tried to cut off his thumb wow. while he was asleep and passed out. Wow. So he showed up, this was the night before, he showed up at the gig with his hand in a bandage like this. Right, 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 right. And the bass player, I forget his, the, the roadie, sorry, not the bass right. player, the roadie 
whose name I think was Jordan somebody, he stood behind the bass amp and he right. played the whole right. show. Yep, yep, yep. And that was uh, that was Valentine's Day, right? That was the St. Uh, Valentine's Day massacre. The movie started the show. It was yeah. quite an event. But yeah, I know um, uh, um, Kane used to steal, um, uh, what's his name? Over and watch his boots, I heard, when they opened for Mott. He would steal platform boots like that the platform boots from over in because they were both big guys yeah and no and he couldn't get boots well i, I guess he could have gone boots but it was a lot easier to steal them from watts and uh yeah kane used to steal watts's boots i heard that from uh, morgan fisher <laughs> the dolls had a very checkered yeah uh, infamous and celebratory past i know when they came to paris for the first time i heard this from the from the guy who was working for the record company here and accompanied them. Like they stayed in one of those big five-star hotels where anything on the hotel, you could put it on the room charge. Right. That included the gift shop, oh, the par- oh. perfume store. And they, I mean, they charged up like $10,000 worth of stuff on that. Oh. And I think the guy was afraid he was going to lose his job, but. Well, that sounds like the dolls. Yeah. We were managed by the same, com- by the same management company, Lieber and Cribs. Uh-huh. And that's they, how we. Yeah, they were iconic. They were iconic management. They they managed Aerosmith, uh, and that's how I really got put together with them. I still, and then my that's how I began kind of my relationship with David Johansson. We were both had this local bar called Tramps, which we both used to play at in the um, in the eighties. We had a one night band called the French Ticklers. Yep, which was me and David and the late great Sylvain Sylvain. Yeah. I thought that was going to turn into a band, but John, uh, David went another direction. Yeah, Tramps was great. I remember us, the Uptown Horns was pretty much the house band there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were. You know, I they spoke were. to Crispin. I spoke to Arno. Uh, great guys. And um, they have great stories, you know, about their Tuesday night things there. You know, every Tuesday, the uh, Uptown Horns would kind of. Yeah. That was their you know, residence. And, yeah. and I remember seeing you there. And, and uh, in fact, I remember in the book you were talking about Tramps, how um, that was one of the reasons why you left the States, right? You just kind of, uh, you kind of, <laughs> you're hitting a dead end, right? You know, after being on three major labels in the 70s and, and four albums, uh, I kind of hit a wall, you know? Yeah. The, the sales never met the expectations. Well, you were, cur- a- you were cursed. They gave you that Bob Dylan curse, the next Bob Dylan. I mean, th- I think the only person that ever lived through that was Bruce, and he took a year or two off, right, when they hit, hit him with that title. Well, Bruce, it was definitely the opposite of whatever a curse could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, the interesting about that thing, and I often talked about this with Bruce many times. Uh, so you had Bruce Springsteen, myself, John Prine, yep. uh, Loudon Wainwright III, yep. and a little later, Tom Petty. And we were all got this new Bob Dylan tag. Yep. But none of us sound like each other. No. Not at all. No. And I think we all sound, we all kind of were similar to Bob at certain points in his career. Yeah. But I think what it really was more than anything else, you know, for the most part, and I hate to say this, but the lyrics in pop music, you know, were so minimal. We're so moon, June and spoon. I mean, they were just not very literary back there. And Bob really opened the door 
to uh, whatever you would consider poetry to be in rock and roll. And I think all of us put a lot of attention to our words. So that was really, and it was such an easy, easy catchphrase. Yeah, it was. Uh, the birds, you know, prior to you, had, yeah, you know, were, were, were you know, had had yeah. that crown for a short time. Um, let me ask you a question while we're on uh, um, going back in time a bit. You're a Beatle fan, of course. Okay, um, I ask this to everybody, and and I'm, I'm I'm planning on maybe putting together what everybody's talking. You know, what what the answers I, I get on this is. Your, um, what do you think was the most influential Beatle album? They're all amazing. There's not a bad album in the mix. But if you were to say this is the one that um, separated them from the rest of the pack, which what would it be? Well, interesting question. I mean, they were kind of were separated from the rest of the pack from their first album. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But which there is, were the Beatles, and there was everybody else coming yeah. from England. But, but which, for me personally, which, which Beatle album separated them from themselves, so to speak? For me personally, it was Rubber Soul. Yeah, okay. You know, I thought that was where they really gelled as a band. And everything about that album seemed to me to be perfect. Yeah. From the cover, uh -huh. the iconic cover photo. I think Norwegian Wood was on that album. Yes, it was. Uh, you Won't See Me, was that on that album? Yep, I've Just Seen a Face. I've Just Seen a Face. So for me, that album just flowed from you know side one track one to the last thing on side two uh, yeah. and they really sounded like a band on that album that was my that's is to this day my favorite beatles album i understand how important sergeant pepper see i but, thought i thought revolver would be um that's mine revolver runs a close second very close second and that's everybody gives me those same two albums robust soul and revolver yeah, and I think Revolver is the one that gave them permission to um, go in any direction they wanted to. That was their experimental album. I think yeah. everybody who came after them had permission to, uh, you know, become a studio band as opposed to a performing band, so to speak. You know, Good Vibrations came after that. You know, great, great yeah. stuff came after that. And um, yeah, and how about solo work? Beatles solo work. There's so much to pick from, but I mean, there is so much to pick from. Uh... I'll tell you mine before you, I'll tell you mine. All things okay. must pass. Well, the all things must pass was the big surprise. Yeah. Because but I think it was it Keith Richards said the reason that album was so great was because George had so many songs the Beatles wouldn't let him put on the album. Yeah, exactly. He came out of the he came out of the box with um uh just a library of incredible tunes that he was yeah. sitting on for X amount of years. He was allowed two yeah. songs on every album. And he just stockpiled them. Um, I love that. And then he started, he was playing also with all those great American musicians, you know, he yeah. kind of hooked up with, I don't know if Jim Gordon or Mike Kel uh, Keltner or all the, the for the drums, they were well, all great he musicians. Had, he had the dominoes on that band. You have that, yeah. you know, became the dominoes. Part of that band became Rolling Stone backup people. Uh, yeah. It was just, an, you know, uh, Cocker took part of that band. Everybody yeah. grabbed that band and ran with it. Um, I think I, that was the first time I heard uh, Jim Gordon on the drums. Yeah. And then he joined Derek on the dominoes and he and, played on my second album. That's right. And also um, um, Bobby Whitlock was on that album. Bobby Whitlock was now, on that Bobby album. told me a story that um, um, Jagger used to hang out at those sessions. And he would tell Bobby, can you play me a gospel tune? And uh, some of the stuff that Bobby actually laid down on keyboards became songs like All Down the Line for the Stones, Forever Dial. <laughs> You know, a lot of exile came from those sessions that were all things must pass originally. And um, 
Was well, there's a story Ry Cooter says he used to be jamming in the studio and they, he, he thinks they recorded it all and then served as inspirations. But you know what they say, Elliot? They say amateurs are influenced and professionals steal. So that's right. That's right. But well, they, well, they did that little knockoff album, Jamming with Edward, you remember? That's right. Yeah. Cooter, right? Ry was on that album. But as much as I love that album, you know, John Lennon. He, with the breakup of the Beatles, he just became more John Lennon than he ever was before. Right. You know, I felt like his personality just became even larger in, in, than life in, in his albums, whereas the rest kind of stayed where he thought they were going to be. Yeah. But John Lennon, you know, he just went places where no man had gone before. Yeah. I think he had the most prolific. I mean, you know, uh, McCartney got pigeonholed into that whole pop sound. He became yeah. a pop, you know, genius, if you, that's what you like. But Lennon actually did. He did a lot of um, great, great music. Yeah. Um, in fact, I saw Lennon when he played the Garden for that one-to-one -one benefit. I don't know if you, you're probably still in New York for that. Um, the Willowbrook. Um, uh, the Willow was that with Elephant's Memory backing him? Yeah, it was awful. It was because they were on. They were a Lieberkrebs band too. Yeah, they were. And I'll tell you a funny story. I was working with Michael Shreve from Santana. Oh yeah. And uh, we putting to, he was putting together a band. And it became Novo Combo, a pop band. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the Elephant Memory guys were coming into audition, and they would come in one at a time because they didn't want the other guys in the band knowing they were coming in. And they would say to him, uh, I know I'm not good enough to play with you, but I just wanted to tell people that I actually sat in with Michael Shreve, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, none of the guys got the gig. But, yeah, it was really funny. They'd come in one at a time, and they would tell you, if anybody else comes in, you didn't, you, you didn't see me. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, I was fortunate. I met all the Beatles but George Harrison. Really? Although he was my favorite Beatle because he was the guitarist and uh, – well. When I was 16, my father bought me a guitar just like his, a Gretsch Tennessee. But I yeah. met them all, John and, and Paul a couple of times, and Ringo, of course. Yeah. Well, I remember your dad's restaurant in the Garden City, right, on Old Country Road? Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I remember. On top of the Franklin National Bank building. And he used yep. to organize some, a thing that was called College Mixers uh -huh. that they would have, I think, in Saturday afternoons or Sunday afternoons. And uh, because there was Hofstra College near there and Adelphi yep. and CW Post. Post, yeah. They would put these flyers at all those schools and they would have live music. I remember the Ronettes played well, one of them. Uh, maybe the Billy Joel played one of them with the Hassles. Well, and, uh, and that was kind of my first introduction. I used to hang out. I was a kid. I mean, I was 16, 15, and I used to hang out in the dressing rooms. And uh, I saw there was a lot of waiting. <laughs> yeah, a lot of waiting. Yep, a lot, a lot of, of waiting to go on. Yeah, there is a lot of waiting, and that's when you get into trouble. <laughs> the waiting is the Tom Petty song. The waiting is the hardest part. Yeah, that's when you get into trouble. Yeah, I used to work for Franklin National Bank when I was in college, and they became. Oh. Uh, yeah, Franklin National became um, European. Well, I forgot what they changed their name to. It became a European bank. I think uh, they went down the tubes in scandal or something, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, right with the Vatican. Something with the Vatican. Yeah. Yeah, but they and uh, my Euro European something they changed how to something change like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I worked in the branch by the uh, um, racetrack. They had like this little Mastercard branch off of uh, uh -huh. Country Road. But yeah, we go uh, used to go to that uh, um, to the main building a lot. So um, you 
did the whole round in New York. You 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 started at the Mercer Arts. Was that pretty much one of your first big? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that was a great little place before it was burnt to the ground or whatever happened. What happened in the Mercer? It was the backside of a building that was also called the University Hotel, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a flop house on yeah. the other side on Broadway. Yeah. And that collapsed and with it the Mercer. But the Mercer was uh the guy who booked that, what was his name? Michael somebody, and he uh he had a very liberal booking policy. And if he liked you, he could get a gig there and the dolls played there. Sure. I remember seeing the dolls and uh, Jonathan Richmond, Modern Lovers playing there. Yeah. Addie Smith played there. I played there. But the biggest band who came out of the Mercer Arts Center was Kiss. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Bill yeah. Coyne, right? He had that band. And, yeah. Yeah. And um, that's right. They did come from there. But you, um, they didn't have the same punk, you know, for lack of a better term, that whole punk influence thing never hit the, never hit Kiss. They just well, I don't, you know, punk didn't really exist when I was playing there. No, I mean, no, it didn't. It, first it, of all, there were there were the dandies. I always consider myself more dead. I said that the glam movement, they were like dandies with no taste, you know. Uh -huh. But first they were dead. And then that and then the punks were when you ripped everything up and put safety pins through it. Yeah, and that really started more in CBGB's. Right, right. And you yes, um, I played more the Mercer, uh, Max's Kansas City, quite in both eras. Yeah. Uh, the Bitter End, uh, you know, some of those Kenny's Castaways. Do you remember the um, 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 the Winkies, Phil Rambo's band, Philip Rambo? That name sounds Philip, familiar. Philip Rambo had a tune. He, he backed, they backed Eno for a while for a very short time. Mm. Um, and then Eno's lungs collapsed and he had to cancel the tour. It was very when he left Roxy. But um, uh, he had a tune, um, Fallen. Mm -hmm. And that was Rambo's thing. He came from that whole thing too uh, at a Mercer. But um, you, I mean, you, your sound wasn't like the other, you, you really weren't a punk rocker. You really weren't. You're more of a poet. You're more of a, um, when, you know, when they say Dylan, you did have not that sound, but that that attitude. You know, you, you were more interested in writing great tunes, and um, you know it was more of a lyrical thing and everything else. So I could. Well, see the thing I had was I had that harmonica around my neck. Yeah. And at that time, it was iconic for Bob Dylan. Since that time, of course, Neil Young plays with a harp like that. Bruce does. Everybody does. Yeah, Donovan did too. Donovan did too. And I started that because right before that, I, I was in Europe for a year and I was playing on the streets and I just wanted to make as much noise as possible. Started playing the harmonica. But well, I think so for the look more than anything else. And then the look, the cover of Aqua Show. Beautiful. Uh, I had asked the photographer, or the no, the, the art designer, the graphic designer, if we could put this kind of uh fog around the edges because that's what the rolling stones had done i think it was for aftermath or between the buttons um it was between the buttons the yeah the hazy yeah the hazy thing and that's where i got the idea but then i when it came out i realized bob dylan had done the same thing around yeah i guess it's bringing it all back home right yeah yeah so that was another thing but uh yeah yeah what kind of harmonicas do you play these days i play lee oscar Whoa, I just hung up with Lee. 
You, you just what? I just hung up with Lee two minutes, two minutes before I spoke to you. Well, tell him I'm a fan of his harmonicas. I've been yeah, using them for yeah. years, and I'd love to uh, be sponsored by them. Wait a minute. He's sponsoring me now. Wait, I don't know if you All can... right. See, see the autograph? Yeah. Let me see. Okay. Well, just to show you. Yeah. Yeah. Lee, Lee, Lee signed this one up here. I got, I got Lee's autograph up here. I'll tell him you're, that, yeah, he's, um, they're always looking for uh, musicians. Uh, it's really funny. Sure, I'd love to. And yeah. I may be one of the few, I'm not really, a, you know, I can play blues yeah. harp, but I mainly play in the rack and I mainly play straight harp. Yeah, it's pretty so, funny. Uh, yeah, I'm a good friend of Lee's. I met Lee um, a couple of years ago and we just kind of uh, hit it off. And um, great guy, great musician. What a harp player he is. Oh, yeah. Um, he's putting out an album, in fact, next month. Um, it's called Never Forget about the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. His mom was in Dachau. And um, so, yeah, the, the whole thing, um, um, he's just kind of uh, putting an album called Never Forget. Um, Where is he from, Lee Oscar? Uh, Belgium. Belgium, okay. Yeah. Uh, he's living in, uh, um, um, he's in um, Oregon now. Belgium has a tradition of great harmonica players. Didn't Toots? Uh, yeah. Well, well, he said that every kid on the block had a harmonica. <laughs> it was like, you know, you're born in Belgium. Here, have a harmonica, that kind of thing. And well, uh, In the late 60s, you know, when the blues started and you had Paul Butterfield playing the harmonica. Yeah. And then there was a great book called, I think it was called Blues Harp, and it was written by Tony Little Son Glover. Uh -huh. Do you know who that was? No. He was a friend of Bob Dylan's from out in Minneapolis. He, I think he went to the University of Minneapolis. And that book... It, it was like a history of the blues, more than blues harmonica. And everyone I knew in the late 60s had that book, and we were learning how to play the harp through that. Oh, well, I, you know, I'm a piano player, so that's why I learned. It was kind of like, you know, what you fall off the piano, you could kind of pick up anything a little. You don't become an expert. It's like a jack of all trades. I could play anything, but uh -huh. I'm not proficient <laughs> at anything. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, so you've put out like a album almost every year, right? You're, you're really proficient when it comes to I that. tried to once I got, once I got going, because once I left kind of the major label world, mm -hmm. I had to figure out, and I but I started coming to Europe to play because unbeknownst to me, I had, those albums had been pretty successful over here. Uh, especially the last one, just started from America. There was a song called Anastasia, which was kind of a hit. Right. In France, you know, I kept, first time I came to play here in 79, I thought I was going to be in a little club and it, you know, it was like a thousand people in the audience. And I think I did six encores because I just didn't want to leave the stage. Wow. And, uh, and I saw that in Europe, they had a different way of doing it because there were so many small markets. People would, artists would produce their own album and then license to different labels so if you could get up the money to produce your own album then you could license it so that's what i started doing okay and and once i realized i could do that and then you you really had no one telling you what kind of album you had to make or columbia saying you know we got too many releases in january you're gonna have to relate wait right. till june uh it, it was very um the, the amount of freedom was incredible so i really I would find a good recording situation and I would just try and get one out as long as the songs kept coming. Yeah. You know, that was the main thing. That's, that's the oil well that keeps the whole thing going. You got to, that's got to keep pumping.
And you've been uh, blessed. You've been uh, putting them out. I have been blessed. I haven't. Of course, the COVID uh, has slowed me down a little bit. And that right. the record stores were all closed here for a little while. Right. We did put out a, uh, with my longtime guitarist, I put out an album of a spoken word album of poetry. And he made the music, Olivier Durand. That's called Middle Kingdom. Uh-huh. And that came out in November. Uh, and well, we did a limited run. And we're almost sold out on that, which is very gratifying. But hope to get back into the studio within the next two months to start an album 36 or something. Well, I thought you were up into 40s. Well, I don't count the live ones or the oh, okay. best way. I, and I did a series of vintage albums of outtakes and stuff and i did uh -huh. 10 of those so i guess okay we'll get into the 40s if we can yeah, let's call it 40s um it sounds better right <laughs> 30. sounds better yeah i like it yeah so um how, how do you find living in, in uh, i guess you love living in france you've been there for a while um you know is well, it... as i said elliot i first came here in 1971 to europe i played oh. it was playing in the streets and you know i i liked europe i liked the lifestyle, I just, the sense of history all around me. And I guess, especially that they were open to my music later on. And what is, why is that? Why, why do the Europeans, why are they so much more open than we are in the States? It's always been that way. It's been that way from day one. And, um, you know, what's the difference? What's, is it a, is it a, a culture? Obviously it's culture, but why? Well, it's, it's interesting you use that word culture because I think here they consider rock and roll and uh -huh. blues and jazz, all that part of culture. Uh -huh. America is part of show business. Yeah. And I think that's a different angle on it, which makes them... Uh, I mean, even the old jazz guys were able to make it in Europe and not here, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, Miles Davis, he was like a god here. He would play right. the Montreal Jazz Festival every year and... Uh, you know, they supply him with a Ferrari at the airport. Well, I played the Montreux Jazz Festival, too. They didn't give me a Ferrari, I got to say. Okay. But, uh, and also, you know, if you take a country like Spain, uh, Spain was totally close to rock and roll while Franco was still there. Yeah. And I mean, he used to take Beatles albums. They used to take off certain cuts. So you when you'd actually see the vinyl, there'd be a blank circle where some cuts would be because he didn't like what that those lyrics would said so when i came to spain and first in 82 it was like the first generation of rock music that hit them well so um but I, it's been it's been that, that way for ages that it just seems that even our artists here tend to um have more respect when they go over to europe you know it's well it's yeah. It's, and the, the really odd thing about that is the artists who seem to get the most respect in Europe are those who put the most emphasis on their lyrics, which their audiences in Europe can hardly understand. Those yeah. did, did you ever, did you ever run across a guy named Tony Levin when you were there in Europe? You know, Tony, I, I know a Tony, a bass player. I'm sorry, not Tony Levin, uh, um, Jackie Levin. Jackie Levin. Yeah, yeah, Jackie Levin. He from never, Ireland. Yeah, from Ireland. He passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, I did some shows with him, in fact. Yeah. Okay. Jackie yeah. was incredible. What an artist he was. And, great, um, great artist, yeah. He, you know, he had that punk band called uh, Doll by Doll for a while. Yeah, sad when he passed away. We did uh, yeah. 
I'm trying to remember where we played together. It could have been in Switzerland, but I, I did know him. Yeah, yeah, but his music never would have made it here, you know, and he, it, it just, it, he kind of reminds me of what you, you know, what you bring to the table. He was a great lyricist, a great artist. He was pretty much, he could have done it on his own if he had to. He didn't need a band behind him. Mm. When he did, it was just a plus. And, um, you know, artists like that just don't make it. Who, who do you feel is going to be... Um, are there any up-and-coming artists now that you would put your faith behind? You know, very good question and hard to answer. Mm -hmm. I would have to say, uh, I would not have been accepted in Europe, though, if I had not had first kind of the critical acclaim I had in America. Mm -hmm. So when I came here, you know, everybody knew who I was. And I also started in an era where rock critics really held swayed a lot of weight with their their reviews you know the aqua show had the lead off review in rolling stone and right when that they pay attention to that in europe you know i don't think today critics mean anything as far as uh music I'm, they're really just a part of the promotional team now right because anybody could be a critic today anybody could be a critic anybody's voice can be heard yeah. so who is their up and coming i would uh you know they once they asked uh who was it? The great, uh, a great artist, the one uh, who put his name on the toilet bowl and put it in the. Uh, oh, oh, um, put it in yeah. the ar famous armory show. Who was yeah. that? Oh, come on! Between two Elias, we uh, should think. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blanked on that. Wait, um, hold on. Well, tell the story, and I'll find it for us. Okay. He was asked who, he, where he thought the next great artist was going to come from. Okay. And, uh, and this was in the 50s, he was asked this question. And he said, today, and this is the 50s, he said, anyone who's good is immediately totally overexposed. So he says, it's probably going to have to come from someone who was so down deep in the underground. So I don't think I would probably even be aware of anyone who would... Uh, whose work is still going to be listened to in a hundred years. Well, who, who, who are you listening to these days? I listen to oh, two. Do, do, do Trump? Marcel Duchamp. That was him. Yeah. That yeah. was who they asked. And there was, or was it Man Ray? Cause I think Man Ray was from Brooklyn. Yeah. No, it was, du it was, it was, no, it was, it was Duchamp who did Duchamp, that. That's yeah. who they asked about. Mar that. Mar Mar yeah. Marcel Duchamp. Marcel Duchamp. Uh, I listen to two kinds of music. Elliot. I listen to the music kind of from my roots, you know. Huh? I listen to Bruce and the Stones and Dylan. And and then I have a son, Gaspar, right. who's a producer and a mixer. And then I listen to the things which he says I should listen to. So I kind of skipped about three generations. You know, he and he will tell me, especially in the hip hop world, he'll tell me I should listen to this or that. And I do. And so he's the one who exposes me. To other music but i think like everyone else in my generation i'm a spotify listener now and uh i pick out a tune i like and it just kind of takes me on a voyage with other tunes that it seems to fit in you know uh i was a huge fan of bruce's not his last album but the one although i love the last album, the one uh western skies right love that and the cinematic and i've been listening to a lot of uh like ennio Mar morricone uh-huh that kind of soundtrack music, uh, 
Yeah, I love yeah. I love those spaghetti western. I love that oh, spaghetti man. western sound. The twangy guitars and the, and the harmonica and yeah. The, yeah, I love that. So yeah, that's that's what I listen to. And uh, I'm trying to think how best to answer that question. So it's hard, right? There's really not a lot. It's hard. You know, it's been a long time since I bought a CD. Yeah, uh, I, I listen mainly online and uh, streaming and download. I do sell CDs after shows because people sure. You know, they a CD after the show has almost become like a T-shirt. You know, yeah, yep, and it's and I love it too because I, I managed to get, I can get out there and say hello to the fans and you know get to know them and uh, I just have you know this incredible group of fans here in Europe from some of them who come to like forty shows a year. I used to when I was doing shows, yeah, and uh, so I really like that. So. I'm going to have to get back to you, but geez, uh, is there a guy named Kurt Vile? Not Weil, Kurt Vile. Yes. I think of his nickname. Kurt Vile, he, is, he, does he live in Jersey? I think he comes out of Jersey. Yeah. From Gem Records. Um, um, I think so. I really like something he did. I listened to that a lot. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Kurt, uh, yeah, um, what's the name of that band? Not the Gold Needles. Um, it's part of that whole group, though. It's uh, I'll, I'll yeah. So yeah, I deal with Jim. I'll tell you in a second who it is. Yeah. I listen to more country music than ever, old country music uh -huh. than I would have than I used to. Uh, it, 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 it's weird, isn't it? That um, like the the further we get down the line, we go back further. It's like as I get older, I'm going back in music, even pre sixties, pre fifties. Yeah, you know, it's it's like there's nothing. Uh, th th there's nothing new that kind of interests me. There are some great bands out there. There are there's a lot of great, um, like the Osric Tentacles. They're a great band. They're they're an instrumental uh -huh. band that kind of came out of that Canterbury sound, you know, okay. you know, like you know a lot of marijuana smoking that type of crowd. And it was you know, some interesting things. The Osric Tentacles are named after after a um, fictitious breakfast cereal. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they come out of England. They're a pretty cool band. There's a couple of bands, but, you know, I'm still listening. You know, I, I speak to Chris Spedding every now and then. Yeah. You know, I, 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 you know, I still listen to Chris's stuff. I still listen to, you know, the old Roxy stuff. Um, but that's, you know, I'm a, I'm a guitar player and I always love the guitar. And there's less than that. Uh, someone was just, I think it was Alejandro Escovito, who I love. Great yeah, artist. Yeah, he is. He was saying at the last South by Southwest he went to, <coughs> there were so few, you know, two guitars, bass, and drums bands. Right. Just it's, doesn't exist. It's exist. because people are too lazy to learn how to play guitar now. They'll sit down behind, a, they'll sit <laughs> at the computer with a keyboard. You know, they'll buy a $40 keyboard and a little program and they become musicians in three days. Although yeah. I have a lot of trouble with those keyboards and the, the yeah. Logic Pro. I got to ask my son how to do everything. Yeah. But it's interesting what you were saying about going back because what blows my mind is, okay, here we are in 2021. I did my first album in 1973. Right. So if you take that time, same time span, someone who's doing their first album now, it's the same as someone who I met in 73 who did their first album in 1920. Right. You know, I know. So I know. It's a, because that music is it holds on, but it's it's definitely from a different era. Yes. Whereas music from the seventies, it has stayed relevant in some way. Yep, it did. Yeah. So I'm, 
Music. Almost like bebop jazz from the 50s has stayed relevant and country music from the 50s and, you know, Hank Williams, Hank Williams and all that. So. And the blues from the 20s and 30s. And the blue and the greatest example, of course, is Robert Johnson. Sure. Now, um, what, what, what were people saying? The Beatles, who their first album came out in, what, 63, right? When mm-hmm. they came to the States. Look how far back that is from where we are now. And to think they were had such a short career nine years I mean, right? six years six years yeah although i guess they were together for quite a few years yeah, but the recording life was six years six years you know yeah 13 albums in six years i think or whatever it was i yeah. loved what mick jagger said about that yeah he someone asked him there was some question about it who he thought was the greater band the beatles or the stones and he said well one band is still filling stadiums and the other band doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Well, yeah. Well, Mick and Keith always had a little uh, uh, like kind of sand in their uh, shorts over the Beatles. Yeah. It was a little animosity, but um, not taking anything away from the Stones, but I, I kind of feel like the Stones became a um, uh, um, an oldies band at this point. I mean, they sell stadiums, but, you know, there's really nothing new worthwhile since god knows you know, it's a problem hope you enjoyed this episode remember that this radio show is listener funded if you wish to contribute our paypal info is not your mother's radio at gmail.com that's not your mother's radio at gmail.com we would like to thank you in advance for any contributions only wendy serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg cheese and your choice of bacon or sausage did we mention the part where wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery wendy's breakfast biscuits hot and buttery so don't take a chance with those other guys bet on a better breakfast with wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit choose wisely choose wendy's at participating u.s wendy's during breakfast hours only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Fly on the Wall. There are more great interviews to follow so please list us as one of your favorites and be sure to follow. We are listener funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. Please remember to share our info. Thanking you all.